You're listening to The Mind Podcast. Today's guest shares his first experiences with mental health and how it's morphed his life into what it is today. Okay, there we go. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hello, my name is Tyler. Uh, you may know me from MTV. Occasionally I'm on there. <laughs> I've been on there for 10 years. So uh, yeah, I'm just, yeah, <laughs> occasionally, sometimes. Uh, new season premieres uh, the 20th so, or 21st, so, which is tomorrow. I was going to say, isn't that tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, 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 the new season. So here we go. <laughs> right, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, so what's your experience been with mental health? I mean, I know you've shared your story, but never really personally, particularly with you. Um, I mean, my mental health journey has been, I mean, I probably started when I was a, a, a young kid. Um, you know, my dad kind of going in and out of prison my whole life and being into the drugs kind of made, you know, growing up a little tough. So um, I actually, the first time we were going to therapy, I was around the age of 11. Oh, uh, was my very time. first yeah it was my very first experience um with a therapist so uh that was after a suicide attempt that I that happened when I was like, really that age and uh, my mom kind of is the one that you know was like we need to do something obviously so um so my first experience actually was going to uh, a therapist but it was our, our insurance could only afford a specific therapist so I, I had to go to a actual like psych like hospital place um in okay. a different department wing of that hospital but I remember being very young and walking past um severely mentally ill people and in, in in paper dresses and some wheelchair it was very like as a kid you know you're 11 you're like <laughs> walking past people uh that are severely yeah. mental ill and, it, and it's scary as a kid when they're screaming and, and yelling and um yeah the whole environment so my first experience with that was kind of like <laughs> a little uh intense at the age of 11 but um but yeah, after that, I, I, uh, I actually was prescribed antidepressants at that age. So, wow, that's really yeah. young. Yeah. And I don't know if that was, I don't know if that was the lack of like, it wasn't, it was a government funded therapist. So I don't know if that I had anything, I don't know if that has anything to do with, with the treatment mm -hmm. I got. Um, but I remember taking the antidepressants for probably from the age of like 11 and 12 to probably like 13 or 14. And that's when I was like, I just knew it was no more. Yeah, I, I just felt as a kid like I I I uh, was always really hyper and kind of obnoxious, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so I noticed that I was just instead of feeling like you know hyper and obnoxious, I kind of just felt like nothing. So it was I had no elevation of emotion nowhere. Um, it was actually the only couple of years I did good in school behavior wise, but uh, huh. that was kind of the only benefit of it. But as far as like emotion wise, I just kind of felt really numb. Um, so I stopped taking them around the age of 14. That's when I met Kate. And um, and I haven't been on any kind of like antidepressants since then. But I've continuously done talk therapy, uh, kind of going through my life. And I'm pretty sure people have seen on the show if they know who I am and, you know, that kind of thing. So I've had a long journey with mental health. I feel like with my wife going through her thing, um, right. her postpartum. Um, her suicidal ideation and that kind of stuff so it's just been a <laughs> it's been a whirlwind of uh <laughs> yeah uh, mental health stuff it's crazy yeah and I mean you have your own but you have so many people surrounding you who have also had mental health issues substance abuse issues and do you feel like all that contributes to your own mental health uh I mean I would probably be lying if I said it didn't it definitely does uh, I feel like specifically with my wife it was um I had to kind of fulfill a caretaking role and I had no idea that um <clears throat> there was even such thing as like caretaking fatigue or I don't know exactly what they label it as but um compassion <clears throat> fatigue yeah and so <clears throat> I went to therapy after realizing that I kind of felt super depleted after you know really focusing on making sure she was okay and she went to treatment a couple times so I was at home with the baby so you know, trying to just figure balance that out, I guess, was uh, was kind of difficult. And I had no idea that I was even, you know, I didn't know that compassion fatigue was even a thing. So learning that was pretty interesting with my dad and stuff, his his addiction issues and stuff like that. I feel like 
um, it just affected me in a way of like, um, I guess more or less addiction as a mental health issue. I, and I used to just mm -hmm. think, you know, growing up, you know, he was, he was, uh, he was an idiot and just was like, you know, I, I, I really relied on my anger part. I was like, oh, whatever, addiction and addicts and blah, blah. And, but I think actually going through his treatment programs with him, uh, it helped me kind of realize that addiction really was a, a brain issue. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I didn't really look at it like that. I looked at it like a very selfish, just, you know, selfish choice you're making. And um, yeah, so that, I don't know, it, it helped, it, it kind of, it helped actually kind of influence me though, to kind of get my own work done. So I guess it was mm. kind of a good thing um, because seeing so many people suffer from all these different, you know, things, it was like, I need to <laughs> make sure I'm good too. So it kind of helped me uh, push me to get my own help. Right. That's, I mean, that's kind of like a, a sweet little blessing in disguise. Yeah. Right a little bit. Yeah. I try to put a positive spin on it if I can. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, so far, I've had quite a few interviews with people. And I've noticed that most of them say, even though they wouldn't necessarily want to go through it again, they wouldn't right. change any of it. So that's kind of a very interesting commonality between everyone I've spoken to so far. Um, but you said that you, you were 11 and you had attempted suicide. What brought mm -hmm. you to that point? Because that's so, so young. Um, I think, well, let's think. Yeah, so I was 11. So um, I always had a lot of um, like behavioral problems in school. Like I was always suspended mm -hmm. and expelled and we had to move once because I was kicked out of every school in that county. Um, yeah. So behavioral problems kind of I learned through my own therapy as an adult that um other adults around me kind of help put this thing in my head that I'm a bad kid you know I'm, I'm too hyper um you know kind of untamable you know mm. rebel whatever you want to call it and I kind of just I think that 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 fueled my you know figure out who I was whatever um so that kind of had a big thing to do with it but I at the age of 11 was when my dad got out of prison for the second time and um and he was out for a while and i thought everything was gonna go great because now i'm 11 so i didn't really i had him when i was eight i have a memory of him when i was probably like three or four he went into prison got out when i was eight he was around for like a year um and then went back uh and the when the time that he went back when i was eight was super intense because i actually stayed with him um during a summer uh, and it was my first like memory, you know, I could really remember yeah. being with him because I was eight. Um, the last time I, you know, was with him when I was four, I don't really remember that much too much about when I was four, but this time was really intense because I stayed with him the whole summer and um, kind of saw how he lived and, and, you know, he's addicted to crack cocaine. So that it was, it was up all night. It was, you know, irritable during the day. It was chaotic with my uncle there and, and there was just no stability. There was no like guidance. I did a lot of things in that summer. I smoked weed. I tried cigarettes. I, you know, got drunk off of half a can of beer. I mean, I was eight years old. I look back at it now and I'm like, wow, this is crazy. But, yeah. um, you know, so that, and then, and then, and then actually that's when he got, um, bounty hunters found him, uh, my dad and, and, and they, and, you know, attacked, attacked him in front of me when I was eight. And so of course, you know, you go attack the police because you're like, get off my dad, get off my dad. What yeah. are you doing? Thinking the police are the bad guys. And, watching him get taken away in the cop car and I had to run and I was chasing him and eight. So I'm like, what are you doing? So I'm running after this cop, cop car and he's in the back seat. And then that's when he turns around and kind of looked at me and I, you know, was really upset. And I talked to my mom and that's when she kind of told me that like your dad suffers from this issue with crack cocaine. And so that kind of like pumped the brakes. And I was like, Whoa, like, Oh, okay. Um, and that's when I started putting the thoughts in my head of, okay, crack. He loves crack more than his kids. And so I think that kind of like for the next four years, it just kept flooding and flooding. And then he gets out when I'm 11. So now I'm like, woo, finally. Okay, great. You're sober. Like naive 11 year old brains thinking you're, you're good. Like we're going to have yeah. a family. We're going to be great. Um, and then he went back to prison again because he violated from, from you know, breaking in houses um, to support his habit. And I think at that point, it just all came. I mean, I built so much hope up. It just crashed. It, it just crashed it all down. And I think at that point I was like, well, I'm kicked out of school, you know, 
Mm-hmm. See, teachers hate me. Principals hate me. I'm a, I'm a nuisance. I can sense that, you know, adults just, you know, this kid's crazy and obnoxious and, and untamable, whatever. And I think that just all combined just, just hit me. And, uh, I went in the backyard and I had, a, there was a tire swing back there and I used a rope and I jumped off the tree. And I just remember as being 11, um, my, I watched a lot of movies. So I'm thinking, okay, it's going to mm. be really fast. Um, and it was not, it was not fast at all. It was slow. And so I was lucky enough to not be able to tie a rope good enough at 11. And I was able to free myself. Um, because it was, you know, it was, yeah, it it wasn't fast. It was long. It was struggling. So once I freed myself and that's kind of when I had to go to school with this big, you know, rope burn on my neck. So I had to explain to my mom that I was playing in the backyard. I had to come with all these you know, all these different ideas and, you know, reasons of why I had this huge, very obvious rope burn on my neck. And I think at that point, my mom knew something was wrong. So that's when I started going to therapy for the first time. Uh, but I think all that kind of stuff with my dad and leading up to, so the age of 11 is where I just felt, yeah, I just felt like it was, I, I had this idea in my brain. I know it may sound weird, but I, I, uh, I did not expect to li- ever live past 15. I just knew there was something in my head where I was like, you're going to kill yourself. You're not before your 16th birthday. There's just no way that you're going to be able to live this long. So I think going to therapy after the age of 11 or realizing that like, wow, maybe I will live (laughs) till past the age of 15 was kind of a a shocker for me. So like, it's weird to think about um, back then, not really having a plan (laughs) for my future just because I had it in my head that I wasn't going to live this long. So um, it was a really intense experience, I guess, as a kid. And I didn't really realize how intense it was until going to therapy. And, you know, I told my mom, don't freak out. Don't worry too much about it. And she's over here like, oh my gosh, I, you yeah. know, I have to freak out. I mean, are you serious? So, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of at the age of 11 is where my real mental health journey, I feel like started. Right. Now you never told your mom that you were actually attempting suicide. Did you? Uh, I didn't tell her till way later. She kept bugging me and bugging me. And as the, you know, the rope burn just got really bad. It was like, you know, first day was, it was kind of red and blotchy. The second day just, ugh. Um, and then I had, a, I felt like she kept asking me like, you know, what, why were you spinning so fast on the rope? There's no, like, she could tell that there was no way <laughs> this thing was yeah. just an accident. Um, and so I finally just told her, I said, well, I just wanted to die. And she mm. was just, you know, she broke down. <clears throat> And I almost was kind of angry with her. I remember being young and being like, mom, stop, like, stop crying, like, chill out. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a big of a deal right. kind of thing <clears throat> because I didn't succeed. So just chill out. Um, yeah. But she obviously freaked out and then got me into, into the therapy. But you're, but looking back at, at 29, it is really young. I mean, I look at 11 year olds now and I'm just like, wow, like, I can't yeah. believe I had those kind of thoughts <laughs> in my head at 11 is just kind of insane. Right. I actually, at least from my own experience um, with my clients, I do see a lot of young, younger kids that you wouldn't really think would be having these thoughts. And I don't know what your take is on this, but I know that social media definitely impacts them quite a bit to have those thoughts of being unworthy, even though their immediate social circle might deem them worthy you know, the world doesn't. So I think that's kind of, um, that's kind of the scary part about the kids growing up nowadays is I didn't have, we didn't, you know, when I was 11, there was no, there's no comparative thing. You, no. you couldn't compare your life and scroll and compare your life to this mm-hmm. person or that person. And, uh, there was no, you know, instant gratification of getting 20 likes, you know, and then 50 likes or, uh, you know, so I couldn't, I couldn't imagine, um, what it would have been like for me at that age. I feel, I actually feel really bad for the kids these days because of the fact that their whole life seems to be revolved around comparatives of other people's lives. And if it's not that good enough, or if this person portrays this thing on social media, like the life is so great, they yeah. compare it to their life and they're like, Oh, mine's so crappy. You know? And it's like, it's actually kind of sad. Um, I feel there's a lot more pressure for kids nowadays with, with the social media thing to be perfect, to not have any imperfections, to, you know, post these amazing pictures all the time. Just, you know, it's just, it's constant. I mean, it's constant because you get reminded of it even after you leave school, 
And see, mm-hmm. when I was younger, you know, when you were younger, it was like, you know, you go to school, it's like, that's the only comparatives you got. You didn't, you, then you left yep. home with your friends, you kind of forgot about it. Um, but nowadays they, they leave, you know, they leave school and they go right back into this kind of like, you know, just constant um, anxiety. I would feel like it would, that's what I would imagine it would be like if, you know, yeah. Brian got 60 likes, I only got 15 and I'm, you know, I'm a piece of crap and I'm not yeah. good looking or whatever. So I actually feel really it's horrible. Actually, it's really bad. That's why I feel like social media, that's the negative side of it. But I also feel like social media on the positive side, like what we're doing right now, mm-hmm. using social media to talk and let these kids know that there are alternatives that you, you can do besides suicide. Yeah. There's alternatives besides going and getting high. There's, you know, there, um, what is it? Better help. You can go and literally message a therapist, like, and yeah, if I had that when I was a kid, oh man, if I would have known about that, if kids were to know about that now, like yeah. I, I would think it would help a lot, a lot of people. I completely agree. It's, it's kind of incredible how readily available mental health help has come. But I, I think a lot of kids, they don't, not that they don't see a need in it, but maybe they don't feel like it would be helpful or maybe even they don't want to be uh, made fun of for it. You know, they don't, I don't want to go to therapy because it doesn't look good or whatever. And and that's kind of, that's kind of a weird concept if you think about it, because, you know, if you're, you don't want to go to therapy because you don't want to look a certain way, that means you're attaching some kind of shame and guilt to it. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's the main important thing that we need to use social media for now is to, is to just detach the shame and the guilt that you would feel seeking out help. It makes no sense yeah. that you're going to go and, you know, you want to get help with your diet. So you go to a dietitian, you know, or you yeah. have an, an issue with your, you know, your skin, you go to a dermatologist, like you have an issue with your brain, you have a, you know, you have an emotional problem, you go to a therapist, like there, yeah. it, it should be that, it should be that simple. <laughs> but for some reason, there's this guilt and shame attached to, to therapy, which just blows my mind because I feel like if, you know, that would go away, we'd have a lot more happier people in the world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just being satisfied um, with where you're at at life, I think. Yeah. Yeah, really. (laughs) Um, How was your experience with therapy when you were younger? I know you used did they put you on pills like right off the bat? Um, I actually went there for, I think like six weeks. We went back once a week, kept going back. And then that's when they, um, you know, they told my mom that, you know, we definitely think he's ADHD and, um, you know, he's definitely got, he's definitely depressed and, um, and yeah, I got put on after six weeks of seeing him, uh, and it was on Zoloft. Um, and it was, I guess it was relatively new then. Um, so they, they put me on that. Um, and I took the pills and I stopped going to see the therapist and that was kind of, uh, Yeah. So that was kind of like my first experience of therapy was to me, it was kind of negative only because it was like, wow. So you go talk to a guy for six weeks and then you just get put on this pill and then magically, (laughs) you know, your life is supposed to just be great. Um, And I always tell people when they ask me, I'm always like, you know, going to see a psychiatrist, I really suggest going to a psychiatrist. I would not suggest going to a family doctor to get mental health meds unless it's an emergency. Um, But if you do get meds, just remember that it's only half the treatment. The other yeah. half of the treatment is talk therapy or EMDR or whatever it is that you and your therapist come up with. But taking the pill is only half of the treatment. And, and people think that, you know, they just take the pill and they're going to be this happiest person and depression is just going to go away. Um, and it's not. It's just it's more or less to alleviate some symptoms. That, but you need to go to talk therapy in order to complete make that treatment 100%. Right. I'm so glad you said that because people really are under that assumption. It's crazy. It's it's so sad because at least the way I see it, the medication is usually to stabilize so that they can actually work through all of whatever's going on in their head. Because sometimes people can't quite get to that point because of their own probably feelings of self-worth. And mm-hmm. they don't really want to admit that all these bad things happen to them. Yeah. So. I, I mean, I, I would assume that it's kind of a, I mean, listen, therapy is super hard. I think therapy, like I, there's been many times where, 
I did not want to go to my therapy sessions because I knew we were going to dive into something super hard that week. Or, you know, um, I look at therapy like, you know, you tried healing a wound by yourself. And so now you got this kind of scar and going to therapy sometimes feels like just ripping open the scar again. And it's like, um, it's, but it's necessary because the scar did mm-hmm. not heal. Right. You did not, you know, you're not a therapist. You didn't, you, you, you know, you did not heal it completely the right way. So it's sometimes therapy is painful. Um, mm-hmm. but sometimes pain is necessary to heal. It just, it's, it's just has to happen. So, you know, sometimes therapy can be super scary. And sometimes I leave therapy and I'm like, oh, I have a new lease on life. And, oh my <laughs> gosh. And this is great. And, um, you know, so it's, it's kind of a, it's a give and take kind of thing. It's a balance, but it's right. necessary. It's totally necessary. When did you start going back to therapy after you were done with those six weeks? How long did it take you? <clears throat> so then I took the antidepressants until I was 14. Then I stopped taking them. I probably didn't actually get in front of another therapist until 17. Okay. I think, yeah, I was like six. Yeah. I just turned 17, I think turned 18. And I just moved out on my own with Kate and, uh, um, yeah, my dad, uh, was out then. Um, and I just knew that there were some dynamics that I just didn't, I just knew, I knew I had to go talk about something to somebody. I didn't really know if that was therapy or that maybe that was just me talking to my mom about something, but I just knew that it was something that I needed to do. And, uh, I'm really glad that I did because my mom even said something to me when I, started going back I'm not going to therapy I told her I said mom I'm gonna go to therapy and she was like you're 17 like what are you talking about (laughs) like why are you gonna what 17 year old needs therapy and I'm like I guess me I don't know I I just feel like it's a last it's a last uh resort thing that I feel like I need to do um and now she completely you know she's I'm so glad you did that because uh Mm -hmm. it helped me kind of you know at the very end of my you know adolescent years or teenage years whatever it helped me kind of put um help me project my future a little better, like where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do, who am I as a person? What is my self-worth? I had none um, because, you know, the people that were supposed to give it to me, didn't give it to me, weren't available. My mom was a single mom, so she really wasn't there. I mean, she was there. She wasn't like a piece of crap, but she just wasn't uh, present. So I was home a lot by myself, you know, so um, I was alone with my thoughts all the time. So I feel like um, after going back to therapy when I was um 17 18 is when it really clicked in my head like oh wow like this is actually really great <laughs> like oh my gosh like this is this feels for the first time therapy felt really really good um and I think that's when you know you found the right therapist when you actually mm-hmm. leave their office in something that they said will ring in your head like a couple days later and you'll remember what they said oh yeah they told me to kind of try breathing right here okay you know what i mean like so once you actually realize and start taking some of their advice outside of the therapy room that's when you know you got a good therapist and a good connection i mean at least for me yeah no that's a good way to look at things uh do you feel probably we're expecting this question but do you feel get, that getting pregnant young and then giving the baby up for adoption do you feel that that took you on kind of a, a whole different whirlwind of a journey in terms of your mental health? Uh, I think it's actually what started it in a way um, because, I mean, started it in my kind of older years was because, um, you know, placing uh, Carly for adoption was super, I, I didn't really look at it as a traumatic experience, I guess, um, until I went to therapy and they said, well, you know, mm-hmm. this is, this is very, traumatic for you. And I kind of coached myself to constantly, um, be positive about it. Oh, well, it's Mm -hmm. better for the baby. And yeah, I'll be sad for a little bit, but I'll be okay because she'll be alive and she'll, and I'll get pictures. And, you know, I kept trying to spin it. And my therapist was one day was like, well, you need to stop with the butts. Cause I would always say, yeah, I'm really sad, but you know, she's living this great life. And I'd be, Oh, it really hurts. But you know, she's got these great parents and they, and he was just like, stop stop like just please sit with this for a second that it hurts and that's mm-hmm. why I just broke down I, I, it was I was just so it was like it was so natural and organic for me to try to spin it into something positive that I never actually sat with the pain and um and that's mm-hmm. when they kind of explained to me that it was a traumatic experience even though you were a young 16 year old kid um you felt 
unconditional love for this child and watch this child leave. And the reason why we placed Carly for adoption was our parents. I mean, they were, we were not in a stable house. They were using drugs. We were, you know, moving, bouncing all over the place. And we knew it wasn't stable, me and Kate. So um, that I think also brought up my past stuff with my dad like oh look at you you ruined my life when I was younger now you're ruining my chance to be a dad because you're you know mm. it's so it actually helped me um prepare like what I wanted to do for my future so that way I can get to a point when the next time I have a kid I will be worthy enough to parent this child and be in a situation where I'm mentally stable enough financially stable enough you know etc to to be able to be a dad so I mean if it wasn't for Carly I I have no idea I probably <laughs> probably be right where my dad was maybe in prison. I don't know. I, I but she's what really kind of like uh, pulled the blinders off of, of me and was like, wow, this is real life. Mm-hmm. Like here's an innocent child, like, and, and you cannot provide for this child because of the lifestyle you're living and where you're at and all these issues. So uh, it kind of propelled it, uh, me at least, you know, to kind of be like, wow, I need to, there's some stuff I got to figure out and change, you know? So um, in a way, if it wasn't for her, I don't think me and Kate, would have ever started our own therapy journeys. That's, that's kind of a big thing to say, but it definitely is traumatic. Um, I find it very interesting that, you know, you were constantly trying to convince yourself probably because it was too painful to actually Mm -hmm. just even wrap your head around. Right. So for me, that's like mind blowing. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> I had, yeah I I, uh, I didn't really realize that I that we did that and therapy and I probably would have always buried it and mm-hmm. spun it around to be positive and everyone would have you know patted me in the back are you okay on her birthday I'm fine you know it's great um I never would have actually dealt with that pain so I'm really thankful for that specific therapy session that I had when that kind of forced us to <laughs> sit with the pain which is really difficult to do and I think people don't understand that like we do a lot of crazy things to avoid pain. Like we do lots of crazy things oh, yeah. to avoid feeling hurt and pain. And we can actually do s- such crazy things to avoid hurt and pain that it actually makes the pain even worse. It's like, you got to sit with it. You've got to process it and you can't, you can't bury it. It's super important. Yeah, no, it's, it's huge. Uh, so are you still going to therapy now? Uh, yeah, actually I'm, um, I, starting in two weeks, I'm starting a ketamine, um, therapy program, um, which was, which was really interesting to me only because I've done talk therapy for so long. Um, I, they diagnosed me with bipolar, um, which is Hmm. something I don't really talk about a lot, but, um, this is the mind podcast, but yeah, so they diagnosed me with bipolar. Um, I, that was by one, um, one psychiatrist. And then I kind of, rejected that I feel like and was like I'm going mm-hmm. to get a different opinion I don't know what you're talking about um and then I went to a different place um and they kind of confirmed a little bit um what he said but they said that at their practice they believe it to be more of a spectrum thing than just a you yeah. know this is you know they're like you know you we do think you're bipolar but we, we think you're very low on the mood swing table you're not you know at this elevated state all the time, whatever. So they did prescribe me some uh, medication. The first person did. And then they said, they actually asked me, which I thought was great. Do, would you want, is this this a treatment that you would want to explore or not? And I was like, no, absolutely not. Because um, the, the treatment pill that they were going to give me was just, I looked it up and I, I, I'm, I'm, I always want to try natural things before I go um, and take, you know, a pill or whatever. So, um, yeah, actually, that's when I got introduced to um, uh, uh, Alpha Stim, um, ther- like Alpha Stim machine, which really helped my meditating uh, stuff. And um, so, yeah, they they uh, <laughs> I don't know why I rejected the this, the, bi- the bipolar diagnosis <laughs> thing, but I just felt like I didn't want to. I liked my brain, I guess, and I didn't want right. to take anything that totally changed who I was I was like I'd rather deal with the highs and lows um and use different alternatives to try to combat this um since I was kind of you know on the lower end of 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 that disorder kind of thing so um yeah it was I'm really happy with where I'm at as far as therapy goes um I'm exploring a lot of different um ways of doing it 
um, which is really exciting for me because if I find something that clicks, like I did with um, Alpha Stim, mm -hmm. um, hopefully I can get some knowledge on it and help people who kind of think that there's only one option. You go to a psychiatrist, he gives you a pill, you go home, you take it, hopefully you get better, you mm -hmm. know, and then return. Um, so I'm trying to figure out, you know, my little mental health mm -hmm. journey <laughs> path. Here. Right. The healing. Right. Wow. I wonder. So you said you don't know why you died or not why you died, why you rejected your diagnosis. Um, I think that's a scary diagnosis that people talk about very, um, I don't want to say they're uneducated, but, but they simply don't know they're naive about it. They don't realize yeah. that it is kind of a spectrum thing. You know, when people say, Oh, you're bipolar, right. Give it such a negative connotation mm -hmm. and it's, it's quite sad, actually, because most people function fairly well, usually. Um, but well, but like you said, we kind of gave this linear, like, oh, you're bipolar. You're when when people are, you know, when people even, you know, I've heard, even heard my younger niece and nephew say it, and they're like thirteen. Oh God, you're so bipolar, and it's like, oh, oh, don't don't say that. It's like, oh, because right. it's actually a really serious thing, and yeah. you're putting you're putting a different light on it. Um, which is like you said, it's negative. So when I first got that, I was like, not mm -hmm. me, no way. Like that's crazy. Um, but later on, just, just actually a year ago, they diagnosed my sister and my dad with it. Um, they both mm -hmm. went down to Texas and they both live there right now. Um, they both went down there for, um, drug rehab and they both got diagnosed with it. So it's kind of like when they got diagnosed with it too, I was like, Oh, like, Oh my gosh, is this, is this a family thing? Is this like a, like, what, what, what is this? Um, and my therapist explained that, you know, there's not really any proof that it is hereditary or whatever, but they, they, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty common, um, that, you know, down the line, you have, you have it, your kiddo has it, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, as far as, as how I'm managing it, it's going really well. Um, of course I have mood swings and, you know, that kind of stuff, but I kind of try to look at it like instead of labeling myself, I guess, as having this debilitating disorder, I look at it like um, I just have a little more elevated state of emotions when I have mood swings than other people do. And um, mm -hmm. there's ways to, you know, combat those things and stuff. So, I mean, I'm not saying that. Um, not everyone that has bipolar need, doesn't need medication. I, I believe that, like, like you said, the spectrum thing is, oh, yeah. um, is definitely real. And I feel like it, you know, if here's my thing, if medication helps you, please do it, go for it. Great. Like my wife, she takes antidepressants. She takes, you know, um, gabapentin for her nerves. And there's certain things that she takes or it's like, listen, if it works for you, awesome. I personally just would like to try everything I can, um, before doing that. So. Right. Now, was that because you had a bad experience with taking medication the first time? Did you have sex? I think so. I th yeah, I, I think that when doing it so young and just the way it made me feel, um, yeah, I think that that first experience kind of freaked me out a little bit um, because it did change me so much. And I stopped writing in my book and I stopped, my imagination was different. Um, so I did feel, even though young age, it just changed my personality. And there's things that... Mm -hmm. I liked about myself that I didn't want to change. So yeah, uh, that first experience kind of, you know, freaked me out a little bit. So, <laughs> right. So you're like, I don't want to do that again. But yeah, that was no, really like, I don't want to do that again. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I mean, and you've got to figure at 11 years old, you're, you're just coming into the time of like figuring out who you are and what you were meant to do and yada, yada. So I definitely feel, I can't believe they gave you medication at that age that's all my, my therapists all my therapists that I said that they're like they're all their eyes all get big like and they all go right down they're like right like okay you're right you know you're on okay they prescribe you prescribe medication at 11 interesting uh yeah so I, I, apparently uh it's not something that they usually do <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, but like I said I don't know if that was because of the insurance I don't know I don't really know why the, the I think the mental health my first mental health experience was not all that great. Um, I think it was due to the, just us going from poverty. I don't know what, if it had, if, if the insurance had anything to do with the government funding or what, but uh, hopefully that can get 
better um, for future people because uh, it's pretty intense for 11 year old to have to walk past a psych ward to get to their, you know, yeah. it's just, it's intense. So yeah. Did, did you feel like you were in a scary movie? <laughs> yes, it did. They had, they, I mean, as a little kid, I've watched lots of movies, but I'm 11. So it's like, I've seen some things <laughs> as far as on TV and stuff. And so to see them, yeah, having to walk past them and, and the, you know, they're just, you know, it's scary. They're drooling, they're screaming, they're scratching the staff. And it's just, yeah, it was intense. Very, very intense. Did you feel like by them making you, I don't want to say making you because it could have been the only facility that they had at that time, the only right. option. Um, by going through that experience, do you feel like that made you feel like you were, um, I'm just going to say crazier in kid language, you know? Oh yeah, were. no, that, that's what scared me the most because looking at these people, I'm like, oh my gosh, is this me? Is this where I'm going right. to be? Is this, is this, is this what I'm supposed to be like? Is this why I, is this why I did what I just did, you know, in the backyard? Is this, is this, is, you know, do, do normal people not try to commit suicide? Like, and I'm just in this category now and this is who I am. Yeah. I think it, I think it definitely just freaked me out because it, inside I was like, I don't belong here. That's not me. Like, that's mm -hmm. not, I don't, I should not be here. And I think that also kind of, um, it also kind of helped me kind of reject my first therapist a little bit only because like I wanted to prove to him I'm not crazy you know? right. I was like I'm not crazy right. so I'm like trying to talk really good I'm trying to uh you know give all the right answers uh that I can to get out of there um and not really actually feel what I was supposed to feel in there um mm -hmm. so yeah it definitely affected my approach and you know to, to to that first therapy experience for sure right yeah I can only imagine I mean even as an adult walking into those scenarios, I've, I've never been or seen um, quite that experience, but I can only imagine it would still be pretty, at least take you aback a little bit. Yeah. My mom, I remember my mom grabbed my shoulder and kind of switching her, you know, so she's on the middle of the hallway. She was right. I could tell my mom was like, okay, like, I don't even, I don't even think she wanted to be there at that point. <laughs> so, yeah, probably. Yeah. And she's probably thinking, oh, I, I didn't expect this. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty intense. Wow. Um, knowing what you know now, do you feel like as you're watching your kids grow, you have um, like red flags or, or you're more attuned to red flags than you would have been had you experienced all of this? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like I can see in my daughter Nova, she's, um, I can see her um, curiosity for like really wanting to like, she wants things explained to her in, in like really crystal clear detail mm. um, or also keep asking. And she just, you know, and I remember being a kid and being like being told, well, cause I said so, or um, you know, because I told you to do that and I'm an adult and you're a kid. And I remember being younger, that was a huge source of fuel for my rebellion like it was, I had a really big problem with authority so it was teachers it was principals it was anyone that was an adult telling me um to do something because just because they're older than me it just didn't make any sense so I feel like for me now as a dad to Nova I actually sit down with her and I'll and and I, and, and she can ask why and, and I always I will explain to you until science will not allow me to do any further and then you just you know go up to God or wherever you praise whatever like I don't know, but so I, I believe in, in, um, in engaging with my kids' curiosity and, uh, and just explain to them as much as I can. Um, and so I can't no more. And then it's funny. Cause eventually if I, if I, if I do that for 10 minutes, she, she eventually, you know, okay. And then she goes in colors and she forgets. Yeah. Um, but it, it definitely helps me also. Um, it helps me with her, like, like uh, an for example, a couple of weeks ago, she had a boy in her class and she was um, pulling, pulling the back of her ponytail. <clears throat> and so I just told her, I said, you're going to have to tell a teacher. And so she did. And the teacher, um, you know, punished the boy, I think like three or four times. And I said, well, obviously this five minutes on the fence is not working. I was mm -hmm. like, so nobody, you're going to have to take it, this in your own hands and you're going to defend yourself um, and, and make a stand and your voice is strong and it's very powerful and you can do a lot with your voice you don't have to hit you don't have to scream but you can do a lot with your presence and how you stand and how you and how you say things 
Um, and so, yeah, she, she, she yelled at the kid and made it very, <laughs> she very, let it known that she was not going to be, her hair was not going to be pulled and she was not going to stand for it. And he hasn't touched her since. And, um, Aww. so yeah, there's little things that like, where if I was younger, my mom would be like, Tyler, you know, it was very, she was always like, Tyler, keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut. Just don't say anything. Cause I was a really big smart ass. So I oh. always would just like make teachers super mad. Um, and so she'd always like, keep your mouth shut and don't say anything, put your head down, just get to the day. Um, and with Nova, I'm not like that. I'm like, no, let's, 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 let's handle this, you know, in your own little, you know, you're a kid, but they still have their own little social classes that, you yeah. know, they have to figure it out. Um, and so, yeah, so I definitely think it helped me kind of like focus more, more, more intensely on my kid instead of being like, oh, you're a kid, you know, whatever, like, no, it's, it's important because it's forming who they who they are and their strengths and stuff. And especially I have girls. So it's like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. you better tell that boy what's up. Stop pulling your hair. You know? Right. So, exactly. Or else dad's have to go up there and I'm going to get in real big trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Raising kids is a whole different ball game. Oh my but gosh. It's, it's crazy. It's good that you have that experience though, because I do think that a lot of people, um, maybe not so much anymore. I feel like we're a, a, maybe a little more educated just in general, not like, even if you read tons of parenting books, like, yeah, don't, don't just say, cause I'm an adult, because it doesn't always work. Usually they're like, yeah. so. Yeah. So exactly. That's, that was my attitude when I was younger. And I used to always challenge it every time I heard it because I, because I said, so I'm the teacher. Oh, really? Well, yeah, I was horrible. <laughs> I was a horrible, I was That's really, nice. really my, when I was younger, I was just, I was a crazy kid. <laughs> always in trouble right well and that's that's hard to deal with too and your mom being a single parent was she always the same was she mm-hmm. always a single mom okay yeah she had she had boyfriends here and there but none of them ever none of them ever lasted she uh we never like moved in with anybody um they just never lasted I think my mom's a little bit too independent she was very she was she was very focused on her job and providing for her kids and the guy was kind of just like there and if he wasn't doing anything then she was you know she booted him so yeah. uh yeah nothing so, I mean, wrong with that was, no no she she gave him a couple drawers in her dresser and that was as far as she went you ain't moving in you're not you know so um she stayed pretty committed but she also had to work two jobs uh growing up so she did mortgage mortgages in a mortgage office Monday through Friday and then um Friday night and Saturday night she worked as a bartender just to kind of um you know make ends meet um so she was really like when I say she wasn't there she really was not there uh she was I maybe saw my mom growing up probably all together every day maybe three hours you know in a in one whole day um because she would come home on Friday and go right to the bar and she had like 20 minutes to get ready so and I, some, most of the time I wasn't home, riding my bike somewhere. So, yeah. uh, so I remember being a younger, I remember being about five and pushing chairs up to the counter, getting my PB and J, you know, doing things myself, um, you know, kind of force myself to be independent a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you, you, you raised yourself. You're very, in a way, parentified. yeah. Yeah. And I didn't really realize that to go to therapy. And I was like, well, I'm, I remember how, like, um, I don't know if, you, but like, we always try to, you know, two parents, one's the bad one, one is the good one, regardless if they're both have faults. And I was just so used to my dad being, oh, he's the, mm-hmm. but I, so I totally ignored a lot of the things that I, I would glorify my mom. And I remember being in therapy and then saying like, well, she wasn't there. She was absent. And I was like, and I got like offended. I was like, what? she was she, she she wasn't absent yeah. she just wasn't there and I remember the therapist being like hmm okay let's uh, let's dive deeper into that because you seem to really not want to accept the fact that your mom was um not there she her presence was not there when you needed it and it was just like hard it was I remember for so many months of just like slowly but surely like I would stop defending her a little bit but it was very difficult um you know, when you spent your whole life kind of like demonizing one parent and then edifying another. And then this one, then this therapist is telling me that, you know, she's the one that I've been edifying is not all that great. It was, it was kind of a hard pill to swallow. Um, yeah. But yeah, it kind of helped me realize that, uh, you know, the reasons why I am the way I am. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing about therapy, right? Like, isn't it to find out why we operate the way we operate? Why do I you know, do the certain thing they do. Why do I respond with this kind of behavior when this happens? And it's, it's all like a discovery 
journey, which I think everyone should take, <laughs> really. Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, whether you think you need therapy or you don't think so, just try it out because even it just a few hurt. sessions, exactly. You're just right. talking to someone. I mean, at the end of the day, it, you're just talking to someone, just another human being. And it, it, it helps. Um, yeah, actually having to talk to my friends to go to therapy is pretty intense because they have that kind of um, idea of one of my buddies that says, if I go to therapy, I already failed or I already lost. So what's the point? Like, and I'm just like, that's really interesting to like, so you're just going to accept defeat, you know? And he was like, what? I'm like, yeah, you're accepting defeat. He's like, well, I've always told that if you need therapy, you're already screwed. And I'm like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. Um but yeah, he went through a couple sessions and he said he felt great afterwards. And I was like, see, oh. there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. Now, did you ever ask him why he felt like you, you would lose if you went to therapy? Uh, no, I just, I just said, I don't understand. And, and the only, his the only explanation to me was like, well, my dad and my mom, I guess his mom, his mom and his dad weren't together. And when they tried going to couples therapy and they said, Oh, if you got to go couples therapy, you're already, your relationship's already doomed. And it was like, wow. So like, that's where the stigma is. Right. So, mm -hmm. Oh, if I have to go to therapy, I'm already doomed. Oh, if I, right. if I have to go to therapy, I'm already in such a low spot that what's the point of even going and trying to fix it or whatever. And it's mm -hmm. like, wow, that's crazy because it should be as simple as, um, you know, like, oh, I hurt my back. I'm going to go to a chiropractor. Like, it should be that simple. Like, oh, I have a, uh, I'm going to go get it fixed. Like, it should not be this thing of like, oh, my back is screwed for the rest of my life. Whatever. I'm already laid in bed. I cash. What, I'm not going to go try to fix it. There's no point. And it's just crazy right. how it's gotten to that point um, where people actually believe that it's not worth it, that they're already doomed just for seeking out a therapist, which was really interesting because think about like, having to search for a therapist, even just to get the ball rolling, you already feel the sense of shame and guilt and you haven't even opened the door yet. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's, it should not be like that. No, it should be welcomed. Yeah. I completely agree. I always compare it to like a dentist. Like if you have a tooth yeah, pain, exactly. you're going to call the dentist probably <laughs> as soon as you notice it, because you don't want to deal with it anymore. And I think your brain and your mental health should be the exact same way. Like, Hmm, that's not right. Or maybe that doesn't feel right. So you know what? I should probably give the therapist a call, but people just don't, they don't talk about it. And, and, I, and I also, I feel point. like, you know, he, my friend that I'm talking about, he had, his dad was a little rougher. So I think like it depends on like, you know, it's really important to kind of break that generational trauma. I really believe in that um, being a huge factor in why these people um, have these concrete ideas of what it's supposed to be like. And it's like, just because, you know, the whole point of, of, of each generation is to get a little better than the last, like, is that the whole point mm -hmm. of evolution and why, you know, so um, how about you not do what they did? Try a right. different route. You be might be surprised. <laughs> Don't you listen to your grandpa and your, I mean, your, yeah, your dad and your grandpa. I'm pretty sure they're really great guys. I'm just saying, try to do something different and see what happens and you'd be surprised. Right. Totally. And completely. <laughs> um, I remember watching the show and, and you were saying that you wanted to go to school and, and do something in the mental health profession. Um, yeah. Whatever happened to that? <laughs> well, I went to two years of, I went to two years of college and I was, um, <laughs> again, I, I, I got, I got a little, uh, I wouldn't say argument, I'll say debate with my political science teacher. Um, and at this point in college, I was not getting any, um, no financial help, whatever. So not that has anything to do with it, but here's my brain process when I'm sitting there arguing with this teacher, it was, wow, I'm, I'm sitting here paying all this money to sit here and argue with this teacher about something that's so clear and I'm wasting my time doing all these different classes that didn't really add up. Um, and I ended up just not the last semester I remember going, I just, no effort. I had no, I didn't put any effort in. I was annoyed. I felt like I was forced to do this. Um, and I felt like I went to college because society said that's what I was supposed to want to do. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was 
like, okay, all right, I'm going to do what they tell me that I probably should want to do, but it really wasn't something I wanted to do. And so I just, the last, the, the second year, just, I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to cut my losses here. And I, and I, and I, I do believe that college opens up a lot of opportunities. I also don't want people to think that it's the only route um, yeah. and that if you don't take that route, you're going to fail. And that if you don't take that route, you're not going to be as worthy as someone who did um, because, you know, everyone's got their own, like, you know, own different path uh, of doing things and, and they know their way, I think a little better than some political science teacher, for instance, that yeah. I got an argument with. So like, yeah, um, I did two and a half years and it, yeah, I just decided not to um, spend any more money to get ease <laughs> and, um, oh. you know, yeah. I wish, I mean, obviously I, I wish I would have of, of, of completed, um, but at the same time dwelling about that, it's always there, right? I mean, I'm, I'm 29, mm -hmm. it's not like I could never go back. If it really was something that I was like, like oh my gosh, I gotta do this. Um, so well, I guess we'll see in the future what happens with that. But yeah, I, I made it two years, which was <laughs> longer, I guess, than I expected to make, uh, given my school history. <laughs> right, right. Oh, man. <laughs> well, that's so good. And obviously, you still have the desire to help people who are struggling just by being willing to have this conversation openly and honestly. I think it helps more than anybody realizes. Yeah, well, here's and that's an interesting thing to bring up because as far as filming goes, like, yeah, it's really tiresome and it gets, uh, you know, being in the public eye is very stressful and all this stuff. But if it wasn't for MTV, um, kind of not forcing me and Kate to 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 do this, but like, if, if it wasn't for MTV giving us the 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 stage, I guess, to um, process everything, and if it didn't give us the stage to really tell our testimony over and over again, I don't think we'd be as far healed in that journey as we are now. So I actually really think MTV was a huge blessing um, when it came to my own mental health, because it kind of just kind of, it felt like they, it felt like they kind of helped usher me into expressing my testimony and talking about it more than I really would have naturally. Um, and it kind of, the more you talk about it, the more it makes sense, the more you start kind of connecting things and, uh, and making it make sense and so um it actually helped me and Kate out a lot I feel like being filmed and having to talk about really serious conversations and be super super vulnerable um to the world because let's face it there's a lot of haters out there you know so oh, yeah. it's um it's part of the process um but you know my whole thing is that I feel like I've been giving I've been given a really rare opportunity uh and who how what a what a disservice it would be for me not to be vulnerable and express mm -hmm. you know my mental health journey um and, and kate's mental health journey which i believe she went way off the deep end as far as um i never actually seen anything on tv that was as um kind of right in the midst of her mental mm -hmm. health crisis um of her going to treatment a couple of times i mean she really i was like i told her after treatment i said you're you're i think you're maybe one of the strongest females I've ever seen on camera in a, on a reality show that's really um, super vulnerable and honest and showing people uh, that this is what pain looks like, uh, but this yeah. is also what healing looks like too. So it's yeah. huge. And I feel like I have a moral responsibility with this platform to do conversations like this um, um, and, and talk about my own mental health stuff and not especially with men. I mean, men have this thing where mm -hmm. we're boys, you know, don't cry. Don't, don't, um, don't show weakness. Don't be sad. Don't, don't, you know, do all these things. And, um, and I'm really hoping to try to just switch that, um, over because, you know, boys cry too and, and, oh, and, yeah. and boys get sad and, and, uh, boys get depressed and they, and boys are insecure. Uh, um, you know, so it's important just all around, I feel like, to talk about these kind of things um, since MTV is kind of in our lives. I feel like, like I said, we have a moral responsibility to, 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 to share these things and not, you know, I mean, how much easier would it be if I could just hide from the cameras and be like, oh, we're not oh, yeah. talking about no hard stuff today. We're talking about our fluffy dog and our, you know, yeah. happy day at the zoo every yeah. day. And that's just not life. So, no, you know, I think it's important to be vulnerable on a show like this. It definitely is. I think you guys have probably, and like you said, Kate, um, 
probably helped so many people just talking about the miscarriage and like people struggle with that all the time. And I feel like until recently, not a lot of people have spoke out about it and spoke out about like, right. Hey, yeah, it's hard, but it's really, really common, unfortunately. And, you know, sometimes it can send you into a downward spiral. And yeah, I, it's hard. important you uh, bring up the miscarriage part because, um, before that kind of stuff happened, you wouldn't really hear a lot about it. Um, and I did, I have noticed an increase in kind of advocacy for girls who have experienced this. And I think it comes down to like, what I've noticed is, I mean, Kate, me and Kate get flooded with messages all the time about, you know, thank you so much for um, sharing mm -hmm. this or this scene really hit me or what you said to your dad really struck me in this way or whatever. Um, and a lot of it, as far as the female perspective goes, when they're writing about, you know, uh, relating to a miscarriage, um, I feel like, I don't know if it's a society thing where we kind of went wrong by trying to desensitize, uh, girls when they experience this miscarriage, because not, a lot of the responses, I know they're well, like the intentions are good, but when yeah. you tell someone, a woman who had a miscarriage, oh, I know, but you can have another, or, oh, I, I, I know that's really sad, but at least you, at least you can have kids and, and you know, that's a possibility about, but it's like, so I feel like. We do, we're kind of patting on the back instead mm -hmm. of we're not really hugging when we should yeah. just don't really tell them that I know you're trying to make us feel better, but saying that, oh, well, at least you can have another one does not take away or minimize the pain that you had right. with this other one. So I feel like maybe a lot of the reason why we don't hear about it is because women felt shame, some kind of shame and guilt. Um, maybe it was their fault. And inside they felt like, oh, if I wouldn't have, you know, jogged that morning or there's all these crazy things yeah. that, I, that, that I get that I get sent to me that I'm reading. And I'm just like, wow, like there's like this shame and guilt thing attached to women that their bodies aren't good enough or they did something wrong. And they're the reason why something didn't happen. And so they don't really talk about it. And it's like, no, I think it's super, super important because it is really common. And you wouldn't think it's that common because people don't talk about it. But mm -hmm. the more we talk about it, the more we understand uh, what it's like. And also the better we can help these women and support them in the right way without saying, right. you know, specific things. So I think it's important that, you know, we talk about it and, and be vulnerable with that kind of um, that situation. So, right. So as a man, if there's any other men listening when this goes out, um, how would you recommend <laughs> that they if their wives or girlfriend or hey even sister are going through that how would you recommend that they support that loved one well i would first say to to let the let their significant other know that it was not their fault i mean i don't know i think that's one of the most biggest things that like you know in kate's experience her miscarriages i've held her i just said you know it's not your fault and i felt like that was the one thing that I said that really allowed her to just break down, cry really, like it just so it's like re just reiterating that's not your fault. Um, and uh, and and honestly, I found at least for my personal experience with Kate, I can't really say anything to make her feel better. But my whole thing, it just hold them. I mean, I don't know what else to do with Kate that would that that I see a positive response from um is just to hold her and, and just, just let her cry and just tell her that I know it's really sad I know it's really really sad this is not mm -hmm. and also like giving them the freedom that you have the freedom to be sad because I feel like the statements that I was mentioning before about um you know it's okay you can have another one it just it just like robs them of the opportunity and the freedom to feel sad like no I know I can have another kid <laughs> I know that it's not my fault but please I just want to it's like so I guess just being like I know it's really sad you do not deserve yeah. this hold them let them cry um and just let, let them know them that you're gonna be there for them I mean that's really it yeah yeah let them grieve because that's the only way you get yeah. over any sort of death quite frankly is right you have to go through that grievance process and that's not enjoyable for anybody yeah else. well it's almost like i, I, I try comparing it, i was explaining this to someone else earlier and i tried explaining it to the, like in, in a way of like oh it's like if your brother died and, and you had a sister and they say oh well at least you have a sister you saw another brother it's like nah it doesn't work it's like it's still a no. death it's still mm -hmm. really sad and we need the freedom to grieve <laughs> it's important mm -hmm. right right that's a 
that's a whole other conversation because we don't allow people <laughs> to do that either. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh, it's so sad. Um, so I'm going to ask my favorite question and I ask this to everybody. What do you do for self-care? Uh, for me, so for self-care, um, hang on one second. Let me, let me turn this now. It's my kid's baby monitor. <laughs> Bad life. <laughs> um, yeah. So for me, uh, so I use this, mach this machine called AlphaStim. I don't know if you've heard of this. Um, I, I think so. It sounds familiar. Okay, so Alpha Sim, yeah, Alpha Sim is a, um, it's an electro um, machine that you clip to your ears mm -hmm. um, and you can kind of mess with your levels uh, to see what works for you. Um, but that helps me a lot, um, puts me in a really easily like a meditative state. Um, and obviously I go to therapy, I uh, love my therapist. Um, so I do a lot of meditating with the Alpha Sim machine and also reading and writing. I write a lot, if it wasn't for writing, I don't even think I would be here, um, but writing, I've been doing it since I was a kid. So it's just helped me. Uh, it helps me categorize, you know, my right. thoughts. Um, I'm, I'm pretty hyper person naturally. So it helps me just kind of helps me, you know, do something with my hand and it helps me just kind of categorize uh, my thoughts a little better. And it's, I, I have a, um, what I write, I purposely write whatever I write and then I close and I don't read it mm. until like a long time. Um, and then I'll come back and I'll read it. And for some reason, it always ends up being like, I'll read something that like, oh, I wrote this back then. So I can literally read it today because I'm feeling mm -hmm. a certain way today. And it just, I don't know, it just helps me um, a lot. And I also think um, like um, positive affirmations in the morning um, mm -hmm. helps a lot. Just reading something, it could be so, so small, quote, anything. Um, and also, um, Earlier on, I don't, I don't do this as much anymore, but earlier on I would um, put post-it notes wherever you're gonna be in the morning. So like mm -hmm. on your mirror, you know you're gonna brush your teeth in the morning, hopefully you do. <laughs> but if you do a post-it note and it could be simple as, it could be as simple as you're awesome. Or you have really nice green eyes. So something really like, something positive that you really believe about yourself. And I feel like it helps you just kind of like, helps you just kind of <laughs> get in the yeah. right state of mind or whatever in the morning, so. Yeah, it helps you recognize that, uh you're human too and you have yeah. good qualities along with all the bad mm -hmm. ones that you talk mm -hmm. to yourself about all day long <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah right yeah yeah um so is there any sort of advertising that you would like to do for yourself in terms of what are you working on other than i know you said that teen mom premieres tomorrow which is the 21st but it won't go out until later anyways yeah right um, um <laughs> I guess not really. I mean, uh, I'm, my clothing line for the kids are, is kind of on a standstill um, from COVID um, yeah. and stuff like that. So hopefully that'll be up and running back again soon. Um, but as far as uh, <laughs> I'm living a pretty boring COVID life right now in <laughs> quarantine. That's um, okay. <laughs> yeah, we're filming the next season right now. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're just plugging along over here. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, yeah, you know, while your kids are young, that's probably the best thing you can do is to have a simple life because they're only little one and you might as well enjoy it. It's true. I'm actually being Kate. We always talk about how blessed we feel the fact that we get to, we've been able to be home with our kids um so it's great i love it i love it i wouldn't trade it for anything and like i said I, I i'm gonna get older one day and i can always look back and say i had those really precious tears with those kids that you can never get back um yep. so it's great right and you can always go back to college get a job do yeah. this yeah. that mm -hmm. or the other whatever your dreams are but yeah. um you can never get your kids childhood back right so that's so really important um well it, in like a year, I always like to ask people if they would like to come back on, do an update, kind of see what's going on. So would you oh, be willing to do that? Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Awesome. I love what you're doing with the Mind Podcast. It's awesome. That's the only reason why I agreed to do it. Because I was like, you know, I don't, I mean, I get a lot of requests to do podcasts, but usually oh, they're, sure. you know, about drama or, you know, whatever, entertainment stuff. So when I saw yours come over, I was like, finally, yes, something about mental health and something that would is actually like beneficial to society <laughs> instead yes. of entertainment news. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, 
that's that's my goal is because I I see so many people especially during COVID they just completely disengaged just yeah you know like they just disappeared and you're like you were doing so good so I'm like we need to do something about this we need to get the word out that hey if you need help just reach out for help and no matter what your platform is or what you do they still struggle too yeah it's important it's a good thing that you're doing so keep keep doing it (laughs) (laughs) thank you we are definitely trying Um, (laughs) good 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 well, thank you so much. I definitely appreciated all of it. And I had a really good time today. Oh, no, thank you. I can't wait to come back and do and do it again. Well, thank you so much. And you you and your family have a wonderful evening. Oh, you Halfway too. Through thank the week. you. <laughs> thank yeah, you, you too. <laughs> have a good one. Bye. 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 You too. Please go show Tyler some love and support. All his links are listed. And check out our Instagram for more information and guests. Thanks for tuning in. Thank <laughs> you.